It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh my mama. Oh my mama made it, ma. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. Especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth you probably should pay him but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King. Locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah blah. No more Geno time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Melodies. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast with the Rainy Jays. Today, it's me, your boy, Jay King from MassLive.com. I'm here with Sam Jam Packard, the great, taking a break from a little thesis writing. (laughs) The Ivy League, man, it sounds like a tough gig. He's taking, taking a little break, study break to chat about the Celtics and specifically the Celtics starting lineup. We could go to some less promising things, but the Celtics starting lineup has just eviscerated teams since the All-Star break. The defense is really picking up. The offense is astounding right now. So the Celtics starting five has been a monster. So we're, we're going to dive into that. So some, some pretty impressive stats from that group. We're going to compare that group to the starting lineups from the other Eastern Conference contenders. We'll get into a little bit about Micah Shrewsbury earning some consideration for the UMass job and what type of loss that would have been had UMass picked him, even though UMass did not pick him. So <laughs> it's clearly a big news day when we get into stuff like that. And we'll do a little mystery machine, little mystery machine. So, Sam, let's start with the Celtics starting lineup, which is now the fourth best lineup in the NBA with at least 250 minutes played this season, an 11.2 net rating for the season, which is fantastic. Since the All-Star break, it's been even better, 122 offensive rating, 101.1 defensive rating, 20.9 net rating, which is just sparkling. Sparkling, I say. That group has has just been electric and really lit up the Washington Wizards after like a a little slow start. The Wizards Wizards really poured in a ton of shots early, but that Celtic starters has just been magnificent lately. How, How promising is it 
that the starting lineup has been as good as it has been when healthy? And how much does it change their team to have those guys all together? Uh, a lot, I'm going to say, uh, with uh, my son. Um, they've been very good, and we've seen their defense really um, step up since the All-Star break. And it's it's something that the Celtics struggled with for the most of the year. Is they, we, they came out and were this great offensive team, but were really not stopping anyone on defense. And if anyone was uh, a little bit smart, they made their... Made some good money betting some Celtics overs. I'm not going to say I did that on BetDSI.com, promo code LockedCeltics. <laughs> but uh, they were giving up a lot of points, and they were scoring a lot of points. And that's uh, kind of not what we were used to with the, this Celtics team. Uh, so it's nice to see them get back to their kind of defensive roots and really improve on that end of the court. And it just makes the quality of basketball for the rest of the game, even when they're not in that much better, because it pushes Marcus Smart uh, to the bench. It makes Kelly Olynyk on the bench. It just makes it so you have Lerzeller minutes. Hey, and, hey, 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 hey. Uh, Tyler Zeller was a monster on the glass against Washington. Shout out to Tyler Zeller. Well, if you listened to the podcast last night, I gave Tyler Zeller his, his fair due. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Heinsohn went on and on about his soft hands, as he's wont to do. Um, but, uh, no, it just makes the depth that much better. But it's really good that their team uh, is – is doing so well with the starters and as well as they played in that second quarter also is the starters returning in the fourth quarter which kind of put an end to the the run of the wizards i know marcus smart made some big plays but he's not a starter but there's just there's just some stability with this starting unit that is nice for the celtics to have where you you put those guys in the game and i don't know um you just feel better about it now here's my question to you jay is is it the starters or is it what i what i dubbed last night the core four of Bradley Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, and Al Horford. Like, how important is Amir Johnson to the to the starters' success? Because it feels like if you put Kelly Olynyk in there, you probably have some similar numbers. And I know the Kelly Olynyk lineup uh, actually has a better net rating. It's a much smaller minute, it's a much smaller sample size, but it's a better net rating than the than the starting lineup. Yeah, I I, I do think Amir has has improved a lot defensively. I, I think his improvements have been a, a, a big reason for why the Celtics defense has solidified over the years, over the year, especially with that starting group. I, I think, I do think Kelly Olenek overall might be a better player and certainly a more dynamic offensive player. And if we're talking about closing lineups, then yeah, Kelly Olenek has to be, I think in that conversation, as long as you're going to stay big, but Amir Johnson has done a, a really good job quietly over the last few weeks. And I say quietly because that's kind of how Amir Johnson normally does his his business. It, it, he, he's been really good defensively, and he's really helped them. I, I think a few other things have changed since the beginning of the year. I think Jay Crowder took a long time to get over the lingering ankle issue. That was like – it was just a sprained ankle, but that – that lasted a long time. He was clearly not moving like himself for a long time. Now he is. There, there were some sequences in that Washington game that he just wowed you with his his energy, his mobility, his hustle. And that's, that's the type of impact that Crowder did not make earlier this season. Obviously, he was shooting 40-something percent earlier in the year really knocking down a ton of shots, and, and he was helpful anyway. But now he's hitting the glass. He is rebounding like a monster lately. 
He is getting those hustle plays. He had that chase down steal. He's really good at that. Like, like letting a guy go by him almost and then reaching in and knocking it off someone's leg. He does that really, really well. Like most guys get beat and, and it's, it's over. Crowder gets beat. <laughs> he has this habit of, of being able to still impact the play, which is pretty impressive. I, I think he's been a lot. But I, I think Avery Bradley, too, has, has been I, – I don't want to say he was not impactful defensively early, but he didn't live up to a standard. And I, I do think that with that starting lineup, a lot of it was they were learning how to play with the fact that they could finally score. For years, that group has been like offensively challenged, and now they can they can rein in three pointers. They are more dynamic with the basketball, and I, I think it it took them a while to get back to that hard hat mentality. I, maybe I'm wrong there, but it just looks better defenders that that is back now and. And they, they, how much do you think it had to do with kind of communication and working Al Horford into the mix? Because it, when you're playing like a very solid team defense, there has to be like a lot of kind of knowing what your teammates are going to do, but then communication, especially from that person who's being in that back, like kind of rim protector position, is it just kind of more comfortable? I mean, I definitely health has been a has been a major thing, but is it just more comfortable like getting the minutes in, getting the reps in, so they're it's just better at anticipating what each other's doing. I think that's probably part of it, and and I don't know to what extent that makes a difference. But you know, one thing about Jared Sullinger that Brad Stevens used to say all the time, and, and Sullinger obviously had his flaws, but Stevens used to used to point out on a number of occasions how smart Sullinger was defensively, and and how how in, intelligent he was, you know, calling out plays and telling guys where to be and positioning himself at the proper depth to handle picking roll coverage, all the things that you don't really notice Sullinger was, was talented at. And for Horford, I'm, I'm sure there was an adjustment period. And as you said, when you're the guy handling all the pick and rolls and calling out all the coverages and, and tasked with all the communication, that, that that's a big deal. I, earlier in the season, you know, to that point there, the Celtics had a lot of miscommunication, and it wasn't always Horford involved. There were a lot of like miss switches between guards, and just just ugly, ugly plays that I I think they they've done a better job of eliminating recently. I, I think there, there's just been less of that carelessness. Although Brad Stevens, after the Wizards game, pointed out that he has been he hasn't liked the level of carelessness that the Celtics have used at times, uh, and, and mostly I I. I I just think, you know, being healthy is has, is a huge difference for them. When when that group is together, the Celtics are really good. You look at some of the stats. That starting lineup is shooting almost forty four percent from the three point arc as a group, and hitting about fifteen three pointers per forty eight minutes, which is absolutely elite. Like if you look at all the lineups in the league, there are only basically like like two teams that match them for both volume and percentage. And that's certain lineups from the Warriors and certain lineups from the Rockets. And that's essentially it. Like the, the Celtic starters can rain 
hell on top of your neck. They they just really, really spread teams out, and Isaiah Thomas cracks through. And having Avery Bradley, having Jay Crowder develop as shooters, having Al, Al Horford to, to make plays has turned that starting lineup from what was really a bad half-court offense to one of the best half-court deal when you get to fourth-quarter minutes. And I think it'll be a huge deal come playoff time when you're not going to be relying on transition, you're not going to be relying on fast breaks because there there just isn't as much of it. Against good teams, it's harder to get out on the break and it's harder to get those easy baskets. You need to, to execute in the half court and the Celtic starters have done a great job of that. I, I do think when, when you look at it, and obviously Cleveland, Washington, Toronto, I think Toronto's like the great unknown, aren't, aren't they? Like Their defense has been spectacular, really good, a top five defense since Kyle Lowry went out because you know the additions of Serge Ibaka, the addition of P.J. I think there's huge potential there, but throwing an all-star into the mix and not having any time to practice or prepare – before the playoffs is going to be really difficult. And then to to make matters worse, they're probably going to draw Cleveland in the first round. So I think the Raptors might be the top challenger to Cleveland if they're healthy. But at the same time, like they might be out <laughs> they might be out a quick series in round two. Who knows? I don't know what will happen there. But back to the Celtics, the the starting lineup I think is is really promising, and as 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 minutes as the rotation short have that starting lineup, you can rely on. And for the first time, really, of the Brad Stevens era, the Celtics have an elite starting lineup. Well, given that they're they're kind of so reliant on their their top guys uh, being healthy. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. This is something me and John talked about last night, but we didn't really come to a, a great answer. Do you consider trying to find times to rest someone like Jay Crowder, who we just talked about, uh, is kind of needs uh, has been much better since he's coming back from that ankle. Rest Avery Bradley, who's coming back. Uh, what's more important, these guys being 100% at the, going into the playoffs or some potential fight for uh, the one seed? Well, I, I think there, there are a few things going on the rest of the way. I don't just mean easy by the strength of schedule. They only have three road games left. They only have one back-to-back left. From, from the standpoint of, of rest and recovery and trying to get healthy for the playoffs, just playing their regular schedule should be beneficial. Like The, the Cavaliers still have four back-to-backs left somehow. And, and other teams like, like the Wizards have, their starting lineup has played, I, I want to say, 1,100-something minutes this year which is almost four times as much as the Celtics. Those guys, especially Wall and Beal, have played a lot of minutes this season. They've lost, I think, four of their last five games. They could be running out of the gas a little bit. They have relied so much on those guys, and they haven't had 
hardly any rest. And especially in Beal's case, this is the first time he's played this many games, this many minutes, probably in his entire career, considering how often he's been injured. Now, I don't know exactly what type of impact that has, but it's it's got to be difficult once your body starts reaching levels of exertion that it never has in the past. And back back to your question, resting guys, I, I even probably won't do it. He has said on several occasions he really wants to get the normal – normal what should be the normal rotation uh some some real repetitions and why i say what should be the normal rotation because they've only had their starting lineup for 29 games now and they really haven't had their expected rotation throughout much of the season so all all the groups that he's using and that he's wanted to use all year are kind of being not not used for the first time, but they haven't had as many reps as he would like. And considering that, I think to try to propel bench units, he's played a lot more minutes with the bench lately. They've they've rarely gone to lineups without either Isaiah or Al in the last few games. I I think that you know, I think it's important to play those guys and and get them in a rhythm. And and I, I wouldn't be too worried about the the concept of rest just because, again, that schedule isn't too taxing over the rest of the way. So why, answer me this question, why Jonas get benched last night? That That, that is a good question. I, I was wondering that. So, so last time he got benched, what was it, a week ago? It was because, uh, who was it? Somebody played traditional bigs and the Celtics thought they needed more size to rebound it was it was Chicago and he he received a DMP against Chicago and Steven said it was basically because of the matchups they wanted to be able to rebound against Washington I think it kind of went the other way where Washington downsized so much and they went to random like Markeith Morris at the five lineups and or and Horford at the five or Olenek at the four and just tried to bully the Wizards down low with him and and they did a pretty good job I think of of utilizing that to to get some buckets so maybe it was a matchup thing I, I can't imagine he'll be out of the rotation for good or anything like that but but I, I was a little surprised that he wasn't used in that matchup and that, like they went to Tyler Zeller in the first half and <laughs> obviously Zeller was good you gave him your prop his props like like you should but yeah the the the, the Jarebko thing was weird the Celtics bench I mean it hasn't been good <laughs> I mean when you look at their bench it's easy to see why they fail you know, they have two guards, Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier, who shoot about 36% from the field and can't finish and don't really draw free throws. They have Jalen Brown, a rookie, still learning the game. He's not really a shooter, although he's made a few shots. He's definitely not someone you need to, like, lock and trail around screens. They have Olenek and Jarebko, who are both useful players, but like not the most athletic or strongest guys down low like 
their bench is is young and the perimeter guys can't really shoot <laughs> and the big guys aren't the greatest rebounders so yeah they, and and i i do think they've tried to to buoy that a little bit with horford playing with the second unit and that has somewhat worked to various extents but they need to stop squandering opportunities and, and they need to stop turning the ball over as much as they have I mean that that sequence at the end of the Philadelphia game was that oh my god that, that was, was horrendous and, and I mean, you look at it that cost them really the game that cost them they were up seven and if if you and they had the ball <laughs> with thirty seconds left and somehow they went into the fourth up three so that was just carelessness on carelessness they can't have moments like that I thought Rozier against the Wizards. He had a couple bad moments. One where he, I think he went in and missed a layup, and then the Wizards scored right away, and then he got ripped to half court, and they scored again. So it, surviving without Isaiah Thomas on the court and without some of those, without most of the, the majority of the starters on the court has been an issue for the Celtics, and that's that's why they haven't been able to push out leads. That's why they haven't been able to hold leads. That's why they've played so many damn close games is because their bench just hasn't, I don't want to say lived up to expectations because I'm not sure there was a huge expectation on their bench, but their bench hasn't been nearly as helpful as I think it was last year when when it really forced a lot of turnovers. And I, I, I think, debate with me if you want to, I, I think the biggest issue is that last year the bench basically had four guys. And it was healthy. Those were the guys that played. They had a nine-man rotation. And they were all, with the exception of Smart, who's who's basically a veteran because he defends like hell, they were all veteran guys who knew how to play defense, who forced turnovers, knew the scouting report. They they were It was a mature group. And this year, I think, with Rozier, with Jalen Brown, and... Sometimes Gerald Green. So really what you're saying is that they're missing the maturity <laughs> of one Evan Turner. They are missing the maturity of the kid E.T. Yes, yes. I, it actually makes it makes sense, though, because if you like looked at two skill or like some skill sets you would want the second unit to be better at, I think it would be playmaking on offense and kind of uh, more defensive vers- versatility and length on defense. And those are kind of the two things that Evan Turner brought. Uh, so it, it, it makes sense that the bench is not playing uh, as well as, it, uh, as as you would want. And it's kind of become predictable at this point. It's just like, oh, the Celtics are going to play shitty at the start of the second and the start of the fourth quarter. It's just like, just you have to chalk that up. It's, things are going to go poorly during that time. And you're right. I, we Brad has tried to kind of put H- Horford in there and uh, – kind of be the anchor of that but still they they really struggle on offense uh when he's not in the when Isaiah's not in the game and we saw that in Brooklyn and Philadelphia it's just but it seems like they don't know exactly what they're doing and if they if you also take Avery Bradley or Jay Crowder off the court during those times you're basically relying on either Marcus Smart in the post uh Marcus Smart in a pick and roll with Kevin, Kelly Olynyk or Al Horford to be super aggressive which is just not something that he does so 
I just don't know what the design is. Like, what's the ultimate goal of the of the second unit offense? How are they going to generate points? Because uh, right now, yeah, anything they're trying they is really not working. Last year is that that it wasn't like the the second unit was this super offensive team last year, but they forced a lot of turnovers and they created their own transition offense and that that was just kind of how they survived and this year hasn't exactly been the same way you look at the look at the numbers with Isaiah Thomas off the court the Celtics have a 99.1 offensive rating which is below that that would be league worst for the full season that's worse than the Sixers it's worse than the Nets that's worse than every single damn team out there as far as offense goes with him on the court they're scoring 113.2 possessions points per 100 possession rather so <laughs> the difference with with him on the bench is just insane and 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 that's just obviously that they've they've played better defense with him off the court but but offense is such a major issue and 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 you see it time and time again that they have screwed up end of quarter situations, whether it's not getting a two for one, or just botch it. You 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 wrote about two for one today. That's been a, such a major issue for them. And last night was they like executed the idea of a two for one, but both times I remember it was Isaiah taking a thirty foot three with about 32 seconds left, and then Jay Crowder taking a 30-foot three with about 30 seconds left. Like, I, I get the idea of a two-for-one, but it doesn't mean just shoot it immediately Lou once Williams you get within 30 feet. <laughs> Lou, Lou Williams. He is like a, a seven-time six-man of the year. <laughs> my favorite player to watch in two-for-ones because the way he hunts shots is just incredible, and he draws fouls from like 35 feet. He is, he is incredible to watch in two-for-ones, and the Celtics – have not been, especially at the end of first and third quarters when Isaiah Thomas is normally sitting on the bench. And that's been a struggle for them. And and it's just it's just like they lose their form, they lose their shape when they don't have him running the offense. And it's just been it, it's been a rough go and and we 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 started this off trying to talk about the starting lineup and how how good it's been. The well, the the downside of that is that the bench hasn't been as good. I do think the bench, when fully healthy and guys are playing fewer fewer minutes and guys are playing in the roles that they should be playing, I I think that bench will look better than it has for probably the majority of the season. But right now, this is a top-heavy team, a really top-heavy team that relies very very heavily on on the starters with. Al Horford, Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, and your boy Amir Johnson. I, I know you said you 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 hated on him a little bit, but but he's I think he's really played played nice defense lately. So, hey, I love the twenty minutes the big dog gives me every single night. I just wish he could do it for twenty five. Maybe thirty. That would be some some wild stuff. But it's like every single time you look at the box score, Amir Johnson has exactly twenty minutes, and he's either scored four or six points, grabbed five rebounds, and has like two blocks. And it's awesome. It's great. But I just want more big dog. More big dog. I want more from the big dog. 
What's going on there? Why, why does he only play 20 minutes? I feel like I've asked you. Fall has arrived at JCPenney, the perfect time to refresh your home. From now until Sunday, get up to 50% off select comforter sets, furniture, and the most comfortable mattresses from top brands like Tempur-Pedic, Sealy, Beautyrest, and more. And save 50 to 60% on select sheet sets, plus an extra 15% with your coupon on select home items. Hurry and soon. That's getting your pennies worth. JCPenney. Coupon valid 928-109 on select home items, furniture, and mattresses. Prices valid 928-101. Selections vary by store while supplies last. Savings on regular and original prices. Media markdowns may have been taken. Some exclusion applies. See store or jcp.com for details. Why Amir Johnson only plays 20 minutes probably 17 times throughout the season, but and no one's been able to give me a good, uh, good reason. If, if he's useless in the starting five. So, so yeah. That, I'm, that a, would, that I'm a man of contradiction. contradiction. I, I think one, Kelly Olenek and Jonas Jarebko, if, if like Kelly Olenek might be a better player. Jonas Jarebko has different skills. So, and Amir, like, there are certain units. I, th- I think it's a lot more feasible to play him against a lot of starting lineups, with which are usually more traditional than it is to play him, especially because you're going to be playing Al Horford too. And if you're playing against a, a, a small lineup, then having those two guys on the court may not be your best move. Now, you know, what happens from there? Who knows? Let's let's stop with the the lineup talk. We we went we went deep on the lineup talk. It's your favorite topic. I'm now I'm soon discovering that you just love diving into the media stats yeah, all, site and looking at uh, net ratings. Like today was technically my day off. This the Celtics. I spent like hours just just on NBA.com stats site. I was. I just get lost in a rabbit hole in the NBA.com media stats site, and it just it just takes me down, man. Like I, I I embarked on today saying I was going to hit the gym, saying I was going to the grocery store, and saying I was going to take it easy on Celtic stuff. And before I knew it, I was just neck deep in numbers and researching all sorts of stupid crap that i don't even really need to know but but hey that's why that's that's why we do this shit we love this shit we love this shit yeah i mean i'm i'm jealous that you were able to do that all day i spent the day trying to measure the 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 impact of the heroin epidemic on violent crime in philadelphia so this basketball stuff seems fun compared to what I was suggest doing. Suggest that they legalize drugs in a certain area and maybe call it Hamsterdam. Yeah, no, I, I ran that proposal right up to the, the chief of police. Uh, he said he'll look at it. Um, but yeah, no, it turns out heroin's bad for uh, for the uh, people to use, and then people who sell it uh, commit crimes. Weird stuff. That's why I went to school, to discover these things. Not not nearly as bad. Actually, very good is Micah Shrewsbury. (laughs) He's going to love that transition. Drew consideration from UMass for the coaching job before UMass decided to hire the guy from Winthrop, Pat Kelsey. Is that his name? I'm not going to pretend like I know who the guy from Winthrop is. Yeah, Micah Shrewsbury is the Celtics. He's been their summer league coach. He has been on Brad Stevens' staff 
since the beginning. He used to coach at Butler. He used to coach at Purdue. And he became the latest Stevens assistant to draw some consideration from a Division One team. I, I feel like it's that time of year. Jay Laranega is going to get consideration from somewhere. It's like an annual thing. Jay Laranega draws consideration from some head coaching vacancy. I'm waiting for that. But, but this time it was Micah Shrewsbury, I believe, for the first time. So Brad Stevens' staff has mostly stayed intact over the years. I, I think Ron Adams is the only guy to leave. Darren Ehrman worked in the front office a little bit. But I, I think Adams was the only coach to leave. And he left for the Golden State Warriors, which seems like a pretty good decision in retrospect. Yeah. It seems like it worked out for him. Now, um, so much attention is paid to Stevens and Stevens being a great young coach. Uh, I really don't know what roles each of the assistant coaches, like, I guess, play with a team. Is one conditioning? Like, I don't like. What are kind of their sub responsibilities? I don't like. I spent a year going to the, all those home games. I still have no idea. Like, so um, help me out here. What if they lost Micah Shrewsbury? So like, Micah what would Shrewsbury the impact be on the, the on the defense. team? He took over after Ron Adams left. Um, he's basically their Tom Thibodeau now, except he's a, probably a lot friendlier to the players. <laughs> I'm assuming he doesn't. I'm assuming he doesn't this as frequently as Thibodeau does. Um, really sharp guy. I th- I think he he did a, a really nice job when he coached the summer league teams. Not that that's like this this great opportunity to to prove your coaching chops, but a really good demeanor. I think um, can be funny when he's asked sideline interviews. Uh. He loves making fun of Abby Chin when she uh, yeah, she stays home, so that's always good. Created good the fun. dancing bear nickname for Gershon. The, I'm gonna get this right. Yabuselli. I think that was it. Well done, well done. <laughs> but, but yeah, so each coach has you know scouting responsibilities for certain teams. You know that they have a list of teams. You do this these guys you do these guys whatever um micah's in charge of the defense other guys have other responsibilities uh, as far as is there an offensive coach is that jay laranega i could be wrong there brandon bailey another assistant who used to be in the video room he also has a lot of defensive responsibilities he he's so i forget who well i think sullinger called him like the next thibodeau to me so shout out to brandon bailey um yeah, that that whole that whole crew. It, it's a sharp crew. It's a really positive crew. Um, and yeah, Michael Michael would have Michael would have definitely. I think he would have done a really good job at UMass if if the Minutemen had hired him. So it's probably good for the Celtics. It's definitely good for the Celtics that that he stuck around. He is a valuable asset. And sorry, UMass. I wonder if UMass is ever going to get good again. 
No, they had the only way they got good was by paying Marcus Camby <laughs> millions of dollars to go there. You know, maybe maybe they'll start paying dudes again. I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure money in the Massachusetts government has been used for a lot worse. So if they, they're going to pay and they bring college basketball back to the there state of go. Massachusetts, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Sam Packer getting a little political. <laughs> Talk. Oh yeah, these are, these are my lukewarm takes. All right, let's get into the mystery machine real quick. Let's let's just let's just run through this real quick. Who you got? First pick. Rapid fire: Isaiah Thomas, elite scorer, real good. You know what sucked? Going to two basketball games. The first two basketball games I've been to in 2017, and having him be out for both of those games. Um, Really missed him on those two nights. Showed how how much the monster game against Washington trailed around Bradley Beal the whole time. Had twenty points. What was it? Nine rebounds, four assists. Awesome alley oop to Amir Johnson. Shout out to Amir who got up for that one. So Avery Bradley, absolutely huge game from him. Uh, Kelly Olynyk, but only uh, Kelly Olynyk with five fouls. Because last night he got his fifth foul and was aggressive as shit and was angry. And it was the most fun I've had ever watching Kelly Olenek. So, <laughs> five foul Kelly. Come on well, down. That was some weird officiating. I said last night that the second half was like the weirdest half of basketball I've seen in a long time. That third quarter made zero sense. I, ha- I really thought the fix was in and they were trying to like make it so Washington could cover the spread. It was just like when really, got really for a absurd. And then a technical, just for hanging on the rim when he got his hands <laughs> caught whole, in the net. That whole sequence was bizarre. There, there were a lot of truly bizarre sequences. Uh, I'm gonna put Jay Crowder there because he hit a lot of big shots in the two games that Isaiah Thomas missed. I think he he really won them that Brooklyn Nets game. So. Jay Crowder, I think he might he might be getting shotgun. Oh, he deserves it. I, I Jay Crowder has been very underrated. I've tried to kind of steal the phrase "impacts winning" from Marcus Smart and give it to Jay Crowder because I feel like it, Marcus Smart makes those like kind of crazy plays where he gets a loose ball or does like an fu steal, but Jay Crowder does it throughout the entire game and it's just like constantly doing the right thing, playing great defense, like hustling. Uh, so I feel like he deserves the impacts winning moniker right. more than Marcus Smart. Slide that moniker over. <laughs> All right. I thank you for granting us the authority to do that. Um, the last one, this is a tough one. Uh, I don't know who who really stands out. You could, could give it to um, Al Horford. Um, I don't know. You do you have any thoughts? I, I no one really stands out to me. No one. The bench has not been playing well, and uh, yeah, so it might just I be Al Horford as a default. That, that just for that third quarter against Philadelphia, man. Yeah, yeah, he was great. But then where was he in the fourth quarter when they scored like what <laughs> six <laughs> points? The greatest fourth quarter anyone's ever played. But at least at least we'll always have that third, you know. Yeah, people are going to remember that Philadelphia third quarter on that, that <laughs> Sunday afternoon game. Uh, yeah, there. So there it is. There's the mystery machine. There is the episode of the Locked On Celtics podcast. If you 
don't subscribe to us, you can search for Locked On Celtics anywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever else. Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us you love us. Tweet us with the hashtag Rain and Jays. We, we love your tweets. We appreciate them all. And we will be back Monday through Friday as usual with podcasts. We have the greatest Celtics talk on the internet, on the radio, wherever, in the universe. So... The greatest Celtics audio comes from us three dudes <laughs> ever. Perfect, perfect tagline there. <laughs> the greatest Celtics audio comes. Just cut the podcast hard cut right after I say that. <laughs> or just keep this conversation in there and have we a slow fade out. Your choice. You're the editor. On a radio interview John Corrales did with some radio station in Maine. I forget. It's either the Big Jab or some other station in Bangor, <laughs> sure, but it's sure, good. I'm sure it's Shout delightful Celtics talk with my man John Corrales and maybe the Big Jab in Maine, maybe not the Big Jab in Maine, with some radio station in Maine. Feel free to listen to that if, if you wish. Otherwise, that is it for this episode of the Locked On Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On podcast. Next up on Downtown, it's time for our weekly visit with John Corrales of RedsArmy.com and the Locked On Celtics podcast. Talk some Celtics here this afternoon after a very impressive win last night. That was good to see for the Celtics. Yeah, you know, they stepped up, especially after that loss on Sunday. You just kind of hoped that they would rebound. And that's kind of like the Celtics' MO play down to a team like Sacramento or Phoenix or, uh, you know, uh, Philly and then bounce back to beat a really, really good team. So nice to see that they could do that again last night and really solidify their hold on the second seed. Yeah, do you think that locked down the number two spot for them? Pretty much at this point. We're, we're talking about 11 games left, and uh, Washington's got a ton of games in the road. they still got one more big road trip out west where they play Golden State and Utah, the Clippers. They've got a Cavs game in there. So they're not a great road team, and that's just going to be too tough of a stretch. To make up two and a half games now with with 11 games left, they need the Celtics to lose three times on top of them winning three, you know, winning three more games than they do. So it, it, it really is almost impossible. Not impossible, so I'm not going to call it over yet, <laughs> but I think the two seed is pretty well in hand, and now we can look at potentially the, the top seed, also, not a great chance, but it's possible. Well, we'll talk a more about that a little bit uh, later on, but let's let's go back to last night and uh, talk about the spark provided to the team by a, a little scuffle with Terry Rozier. I know. You know sometimes those things, you don't know how it's going to go, but you know Terry Rozier and uh, Brandon Jennings got into that little, that little mix-up, and we see that those teams, they don't like each other. Before the game, Mike Gorman was saying that, the teams didn't like 
give each other five before, you know, sometimes they intermingle before the game, like, Hey, good game. They just stayed on their, their respective sides. Isaiah said, they don't like us. We don't like them. Let's do it. So it kind of energized the team a little bit, got them a little riled up and the Celtics, when you get them riled up, they can respond in a very positive way. It has the potential to be negative, but that got a, a lot of those guys going and that really fueled a huge, huge second quarter run. They really never lost full control of that game. They got a little dicey, but that really fueled a run that, that gave them full control of that game for pretty much the rest of the way. Well, you guys wrote about it on RedsArmy.com uh, with, with teams that are traditional rivals just not being very good. All of a sudden, the Wizards have emerged as a really good, strong rival. I think that would be a great playoff series if they were to meet again. That would be fantastic. And, you know, with the Celtics having home court, it would really bode well for them. But any level of animosity kind of stokes that drama a little bit, makes it more interesting. The Celtics could go play a, a Milwaukee or a Miami or even a Toronto, and it wouldn't have that same flair right now because of the dust-ups. You had the Crowder and John Wall, little nose boop, little poke-in-the-nose thing going on. You had the funeral game in Washington, and then you had this little mix-up here. So little, little things like that. Although it harkens a tiny bit, just a tinge, of that old school eighties rivalry kind of feel where they legitimately don't really like each other as a, as a team. They might have like individual friendships. Isaiah Thomas is friends with John wall, but I think when it comes time to putting on the uniform and facing team to team, there there's no love lost. Seven games of that, of that would be, very well received by everybody in the NBA, I think. We're talking with John Corrales of RedsArmy.com and the Locked on Celtics podcast. So, so, John, do you agree that the schedule, at least the rest of the way that the Celtics have, is the, the easiest, the most favorable in the league, at least among the yeah. contending teams? Oh, absolutely. It, not even, I don't even think it's really that close. They have a bunch of home games. They don't play on the road again until the first week of April. So, they have a lot of time. They've got one back-to-back left. They've got a bunch of days off. They've got a game, a day off, a game, a couple of days off. They have really, theoretically, easy opponents. I say this having just lost to the Sixers a couple of days ago, but they've got easier opponents coming up, the Orlandos of the world, those types of, of teams. And even when they face a good team, Cleveland, you look at that schedule, and that schedule is a road game for Cleveland in the midst of a bunch of home games and it's on a back-to-back. So that that's a potential rest day for the Cavaliers. So they might even luck out and have that schedule be even easier by facing a Cavaliers team that's not exactly loading up to face them. Yeah, speaking of rest days, the commissioner, Adam Silver, spoke out uh, yesterday and again today on this uh, idea of the NBA's rest protocol. He threatened penalties, but... It really, is he going to do anything? I don't think he's going to do anything now. I think really what's happening now is you're seeing kind of, um, I don't want to say power struggle. I don't know how else to really phrase it, but the teams are sending clear messages to me that on Saturday night, primetime ABC game, two weeks in a row, the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the San Antonio Spurs all went out there and didn't have their biggest stars. And some of it was due to injury, but a lot of it was due to rest. And I think that that was kind of calculated. And now the commissioner, I think, 
is responding in kind by publicly letting everybody know I've sent a letter to all of the owners to urge them to be involved. That's kind of a shot back at the general managers. Like, oh, that's how you want to do your job? Well, now I'm going to make your job a little bit more harder by getting your bosses involved. And then threatening the penalties, that's something that I think no team really wants to deal with. Some financial penalties. You know, these owners, super rich, but nobody wants to lose money over this. So ultimately, feels like a lot of posturing because teams need to get this schedule situation fixed. Uh, Golden State Warriors are playing eight games in eight different cities. The Cavaliers have four more back-to-backs on top of that. That was one of five for them. Scheduling-wise, it's not ideal. And it's very complicated, and nobody's completely innocent in this. But I think, ultimately, all sides will sit down over the summer and figure out a better way to schedule these games so the rest is reduced, the need to rest is reduced, that fans get to see the guys that they paid a lot of money for, and that TV networks get to put on the marquee games that they've paid a lot of money for. And ultimately, the players want that too, because that TV money is what fuels this big increase in their paychecks. They don't want to lose that. So they're not going to keep doing this forever. But I think ultimately there will be a solution and they've already shortened the season, the shortened the preseason next year to add a week so they can kind of reduce some of these back to back. So it's happening, but not without some posturing and difficulty. So realistically looking at the schedule, the Celtics with 11 games left, the Cavaliers 13 left and a two game lead for that number one spot. Uh, They've, Again, they've struggled while sitting people. Uh, Cleveland 5-5 and in their last 10 games. you got to assume the Celtics would need to win, what, eight at least out of their last 11 to have a shot at number one? Probably. That sounds about right. They can certainly do it. They have the schedule lining up to do that. And again, that big game to watch for, if you're concerned about the top seed, which I'm not personally, it's more of a, it's kind of nice, but it's it's not overly important. But if you're really looking for that and you want that top seed, that Cleveland Celtics game is going to be a huge one because the Celtics can gain a full game in the standings while Cleveland potentially rests guys on that game uh, on that day. Because uh, when I looked at the schedule, that that stands out like a big sore thumb right there. That's a game where I expect the Cavaliers to rest some guys to not even send them on the road and have them travel to just have them kind of. Stay at home, relax, take a day off, and, and play uh, an- another home game in a couple of days. So if the Celtics can win that game and get that situation, then it'll get really interesting. There you go. John Corrales talking Celtics every Tuesday here on Downtown. John, thanks as always. Enjoy the games the rest of the week, and we'll see you next Tuesday. You got it, my friend. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.